TJ and PK, we are joined now by David Aldridge. He is the editor-in-chief of The Athletic DC. You've seen him on TV. You've read him for decades. He's been covering the NBA for a long time. David, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? We're doing well. We're doing well. We both read your uh, your story. I think one thing we can all agree about in the digital age, whatever its downside, you got more room to write. You wrote, and you wrote, and there was no one to cut it for space. Sorry, it's great, David. We just don't have space. You don't have to hear that. No, that's always a good thing yeah. uh, in the writing in the writing space. Um, we don't try to abuse it, but when you need to take 2,000 words to discuss something fairly complicated. Um, the good news about being at The Athletic is that I have the opportunity to do that. So we really enjoyed both of us. Uh, well, we enjoyed your coverage over the years, but enjoyed this particular piece. Both of us, DJ and myself, PK, we are California transplants. We moved here in the early 90s, but we've been here now coming up on close to 30 years, and uh, we've seen this community, and we know a little bit about it. And so it seems like any time something like this happens, the issue of minorities and then obviously with the NBA, it's African-Americans, how comfortable they can be in Salt Lake City. And you talk to Mike Conley and Derek Favors, you probably could have talked to as many guys as you possibly wanted in your three decades of covering the league. My thought for you is how much of it is it still a concern, the perception out there, meaning the states and the rest of the world, the rest of the country, as far as this being a welcoming place for African-Americans? Well, I, I think it, you know, it, it, if you only go by what, you know, Mike and Derek and some of the other players on the team now have said that they are, you know, things seem to be a lot better. And I think that kind of jibes with, what the anecdotal evidence and the physical evidence in terms of demographics will tell you that, um, as you guys know much better than I do, I think Salt Lake City is a much, much more increasingly diverse city than it was maybe 20 years ago. Um, and so I think diversity always um, helps minority groups feel a little more comfortable, a little better. Um, and, you know, I just think it's they, they the point of the story was that, you know, there was this and it's and I and I said in the story that it, it doesn't mean that it's still there, but it was there at one point. I'm sure as you guys. Yeah, know, that there was right. a perception among many black players that it just was not a good place to go. People did not want to play there. Um, I still think it's very difficult for them to get free agents to come there. So to me, the the thing that's interesting is that they have convinced all of their black players of, of significance on the roster to not just stay, but to stay for a long time, to sign, you know, long-term contracts to remain there. I mean, Jordan Clarkson last year would have had a lot of suitors, I think, or he could have signed a one-year deal with them and been a free agent this year. There's a lot of teams that have money, um, or they're going to have money and would have an opportunity to give it to him. Uh, he knew that. His agent knew that, I'm sure. Um, and they opted to stay long-term. You know, you could say Rudy Gobert can't turn down $200 million, and there's, there's some truth to that. Um, it's hard. It would have been hard for him to turn it down in Miami or New York if, if he was there. Um, you know, but Donovan Mitchell certainly took the money. Um, Derek Favors came back, which I think is significant, um, and signed a three-year deal. Um, I think that's very significant. Um, so those players over the last, three to five years 
have really embraced not just the notion of playing on a good team, because the Jazz have been a good team under Quinn Snyder the last several years, but to make a long-term commitment to the franchise and to the city, and I think that's significant. So there's a uh, there's a lot of nuance to the discussion, and you address a lot of it. And my guess is being around the league as long as you have, and and seeing you, you know, seeing what you've written and what you talked about when I've seen you on TV, you know, you probably could have gone twenty thousand or two hundred thousand words if you'd chosen, because yeah. there's there's so much nuance to this. But I think one of the points that has to be addressed, and and you're better at addressing this than PK and I think. But it seems like, on one hand, there's the topic, well, if I go there, there's going to be a lot of negative behavior towards me. How are people going to talk mm-hmm. to me? How are they going to treat me? All of that. But then there's also, is there a community for me to fit into? Mm-hmm. Is there, um, you know, you, you had a really interesting quote, I think it was from Favors, where he's talking about, hey, some stuff he just can't buy locally, he's got to order on Amazon. So it seems right. like there's a lot of tears to this discussion when you talk about how comfortable am I, am I going to be in place X, in this case, Salt Lake City. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I think that's part of the, you know, part of the, 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 the difficulty in talking about race is that you're also talking about class at the same time in, in a lot of cases, right? So, you know, someone like Derek Favors, who's making a lot of money, he can go on Amazon and get whatever he needs that's not available. And so it's okay. Like, you can live in Salt Lake City if you can have whatever you need shipped in. But for, you know, a lot of people of color in Salt Lake City who aren't making that kind of money, they may not have that luxury. You know what I mean? So that's why it's a it's a it's a new it has to be a nuanced discussion because it's not one size fits all. Um, I can only talk about black basketball players because that's what I cover. And, you know, I I don't I don't cover uh, working class America. Um, and so I cover people who are pretty rich for the most part. Um, and so they are able to kind of do things that other people aren't. And so you have to have that. You have to understand that when you're writing about these things. And so, but I tried to limit it to black basketball players in Salt Lake City because even, you know, 20, like I said, 20, 25 years ago, even the fact that guys were making money did not make it worth their while to go to Salt Lake City in, in large case, in many cases. So that has changed. And I think that there is a positive to be um, gleaned from that, that guys do feel more comfortable. But to your larger point of, is there a community there? I think it's hit and miss. I think it's hit and miss. I mean, I still think guys are going, you know, there's not a whole lot of, I mean, there is a black community in Salt Lake City. Don't get me wrong. I know there's churches there and there's there's certainly um, communities there, but it's not as diverse and as large, I think, as, as people would feel especially comfortable being in. You have to kind of make the co- the conscious decision that you're going to live in a community where you don't see a lot of people that look like you every day. Yeah, I don't think anybody could argue that. It's still uh, relatively minuscule, if you want to say that. That Derek, or I was going to say Derek Favors, but Derek Harper quote of years ago, and both DJ and I were living in the community at the time, that stung when you, know, yeah. you go live in Utah, and it's, it's still out there. I'm wondering, it, it seems like from the, the glory years of the two Hall of Fame guys up until through uh, Carlos Boozer and Favor, uh, Darren Williams, and now these guys, 
it yeah. seems like all the guys who've been here, the minority guys, which in large part obviously are black, that they like it. There, there was a quote. We played a quote, a uh, radio bite. Uh, favor, uh, Boozer was down in Miami, and the radio mm-hmm. guys bought into the typical stereotype and said, ah, you know, you had to play for the jazz and blah, blah, blah. Gosh, basically, how did you, how much did you hate it? And he said, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not really that bad. So the point being, when guys get here, they end up liking it. And we know, and you've already said it, it's hard to get free agents. How much do you think that the fact that the guys who've been here, African-American dudes who've been here for an extended period, they can sell it and say they like it, can help the Jazz going forward the next five, ten years? Well, I'll say this. I don't think it hurts, certainly, right? I mean, it doesn't hurt the, the guys in the main um, who, who play different roles on this team. Um, have all kind of said the same thing about how they like playing for Quinn Snyder. They, they obviously like the style. Uh, the, the team's the best team in the league right now. So what's not to like, right? I mean, you're, you're, you would have an opportunity to play for a very stable organization. They pay. Um, they're not cheap. Uh, they do. They pay for their players market rate to stay. Um, so certainly, I think there may be opportunities down the road um, for the Jazz to not. You know, again, realistically, do I think the young, you know, great young players in this league, when, whenever they become free agents, is, is Utah going to be on the top of their list? I mean, I, I don't think it will be. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't think it will be. I don't think it will be at the top of Luka Doncic's list. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it will be, but that doesn't, that's okay. It doesn't matter. If you're drafting guys or you're bringing in guys and they like it and they want to stay – what you can do, which is what a lot of championship-level teams do, is that you get those veterans. And you guys got Joe Johnson a couple of years ago. You know what I mean? That's, that's big to me. When you get a guy at the end of his career or who's nearing the end of his career that still can play a little bit and help you win, those are the types of guys that help you win playoff series. You know, a Joe Johnson and people like that that, that that are veterans. And so if you every couple of years are adding – you know, a seasoned veteran who's taken less money to come play for a winning organization that has a chance at a ring, that's a big deal because you've got the core group in place already. But those vets are the guys that can help you, you know, in, in, a, in, a, play, in a game on the road, you know, down 3-2 or down 3-1 and make you believe you can still win and make plays. Those guys help you. And so if the Jazz can, can continue to bring guys like that in, that's a big deal. We're joined right now by David Aldridge, longtime NBA reporter. He is now the editor-in-chief of The Athletic DC. He's got a long story. Uh, the headline is high, Flying High This Season, Utah Jazz, again grounded by questions of race. And this conversation just keeps reverberating. So you write what you wrote. you got a ton of quotes in it, but everybody knows everybody. And you've been a reporter for a long time, and players know who you are. They probably watched you when they were in high school or college. So I'm curious what kind of feedback you get, either texting, you don't really go around the league and you're not popping in locker rooms these days because of the pandemic, but I'm sure you still right. get some kind of feedback because the conversation is ongoing. What have you heard since you've written it from around the league? I think, you know, look, nobody wants to rain on Utah's parade. They're having a, a magical season. They have a great chance to win the championship this year. Um so you want, you know, there, it, it, you'd have to really be looking to write something negative about him, right? I mean, so you're, you know, 
the the point of the story was going to be a fairly positive piece. Um, and then, of course, the, the Elijah Millsap stuff happened, and you just go, wow, okay, we're right back to it again with Utah and race. And so what I have heard from people, look, look, I know Dennis a little bit. I don't know him as well as other people do. Um, I, I, I've never gotten that vibe from Dennis Lindsay ever. Um, so I, I don't. I would never say I know someone well enough to say they couldn't add, there's absolutely no way they could have ever said or done something bad. That would be ridiculous. We've all done bad things and said bad things in our lives. Um, but I certainly from talking to people around the league have asked, you know, whether it's black reporters, it's black agents, black players, and all of them. You know, I haven't heard anybody who has had a bad thing to say about Dennis Lindsay. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> you know, um, I think he seems, by all accounts, to be above board, completely professional, wants to do the right thing. Um, again, the proof's in the pudding. If if people had a problem with this organization, I don't think those guys would be staying. I think they'd be leaving. <laughs> you know, so to me, that does not mean that that couldn't have happened. I'm not saying it couldn't have happened, um, but it would be completely counter to what that what he has done in terms of building that organization. What, what Quinn Snyder has done, and, and, and as I wrote in the piece, you know, I had Andre Patterson reached out to me. I mean, I didn't seek him out at all. He texted me and said, hey, look, I want, to, I want people to know this is my relationship with Dennis Lindsay over the years. Um, and I've known Andre a long time, and, you know, Andre's a pretty solid guy, you know. So for him to kind of say, to make the reach out to me um, said a lot to me. For people who don't know, Andre Patterson worked in Utah uh, 2015 to 17, and he's now in the Cleveland organization. So, a little backstory there. Go ahead, PK. So, David, this is an entirely unfair and probably inappropriate question, but it's what my what I do in my role in the radio. Uh, if mm-hmm. if these claims are true, and I don't know if they are, or they aren't, but if they are, just on the assumption that they are, is this a fireable offense in your mind? You know, I. That that would obviously be up to ownership. Um, it would be a very, very, very bad statement, and I think it would be very difficult to come back from something like that if it were proven to be true, especially since Dennis had pretty categorically denied that he said it. Um, if it is if it is proven somehow that he did indeed say it, you're not only dealing with what he said, you're dealing with, with that he lied about what he said, which would which would be to me a fireable offense. Yeah, but good point. Thank you. You know what I mean. So I mean, if you cop to it and say, "Yeah, I said it," in the heat of the moment, it was a terrible thing to say, and I, you know, then you know you can make a you can make a judgment on whether it's fireable or not. Some would say yes, some would say no. Um, but to me, the fact that he has very strongly said that that did not happen, that he did not say it, I think kind of. There's no middle ground here. Either it's going to be proven that he said it or it's going to be proven that he didn't say it. Um, so I don't know how you could – it would be hard for me to keep him if, if it's proven that he did. But I, we'll find out. I am not in any way saying that I believe he said it because I wasn't there and I don't know. <laughs> um, right, so right. I, well, the investigation will determine that and we'll bear that out. Yeah, good point on the on the, on the lying. And, and – and Dennis has been very strong about it, so that uh, it'd be interesting to see what this league investigation finds. It's a, 
Just an interesting thing all along, I guess. So I'm curious to the bigger point when you talk about, um, you know, getting players to Salt Lake. And certainly, Mm -hmm. you know, the question of race has come up in the past. It will come up again in the future. Uh, But there are probably people listening to this saying, well, Durant went to New York, well, Brooklyn, uh, Mm -hmm. and LeBron went to first Miami. He did go home to Cleveland, but then he went to L.A., so right. regardless of how these issues play out in the future in Utah, Portland, Utah, Denver, Indiana, I don't know, go on down the list, whatever other market you want, if you're not a top 10 market and if you're not in a warm weather spot, uh, you're not getting big time free agents anyway. And the way the super teams are going, you got to thread a pretty fine needle to get among the league's elite. Is there anything or what, if anything, is going to reverse that trend? No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it, that is very true. Um, throw Milwaukee in there also. Yeah. Um, you know, your mid to smaller markets are going to have a very difficult time getting free agents. Very difficult. Um, it's just the nature of the beast. It's the nature of where guys want to live. You know, guys want to live in the warm weather cities and, you know, in L.A. and Miami and places like that, um, even New York has not been able to get a whole lot of, you know, they haven't gotten the top guys for a while now. You know, they've gotten a few free, they've gotten free agents here and there because they had money, but they have not, they've struck out on everybody of significance, you know, including Duran. And everybody thought he was, they were the leaders, you know, going into 2018, 2019. Everybody had the Knicks kind of at the top of the list. Um and they haven't gotten it done. So it's, it's, there aren't a lot of targets. I mean, Chicago's never tried really in the free agent piece. I think Chicago could get free agents. They've never even really tried. Other than Dwayne Wade, they haven't really gone all out on anybody. And that's just kind of a philosophical, organizational kind of thing that they do up there. Because um, I think they could get people to come to Chicago. But, um, but you're right. There's no question that, that the mid-market's, are, are always going to have difficulty bringing in marquee free agents. That's why um, I have no problem. In fact, I think Utah is a model to me of how to do it, which is, you know, you, you have to you have to hit home runs in the draft and go Baron Mitchell or home runs, home runs, you know, no doubt about it, 450 foot home runs. <laughs> um, and that's what you have to do when you're, when you're in, in a mid market. Um, you have to really hit the draft well because having the ability to kind of control a player's salary for the you know, first four or five years of their careers is just massive. And then, again, you get to a point with, with a Mitchell or with a Gobert when they get to their second or third contracts, if, you can, you know, if you're willing to pay that kind of money, and we saw Sacramento didn't want to pay DeMarcus Cousins and, and wound up trading him. And, and so – uh, Gobert, they, they paid, and this year he's more than lived up to it. So um, that's always going to be a, a, a challenge for mid-markets. But the ones that do it well, like Milwaukee, I think, or, or, and like Utah, I think you, you can win big, and you can have a chance. And that's all you can ask for if you're any NBA team, is to have a chance. And I think those two teams have legitimate chances of being finals teams this year. I want to run a theory by you, and maybe it's a bias, and maybe it's a hope. 
I spent 23 years working for newspapers, and now that I've been in radio, my, my mindset has changed. You know, in newspapers, you don't root, but in radio, if you have your teams win, it's good for business. I want to see them win <laughs> for selfish right. reasons, so maybe it's my bias that I'm bringing to the table. But in my mind, today's players are so sophisticated in that they can overlook some perceived negatives and will look toward, obviously, the money, will look toward the winning culture, will look towards the stability and management, which includes owner, GM, and coach. And they have that sophistication to know a good situation, even if it's out in the middle of nowhere in the Rocky Mountains, that that can attract them because of their sophistication today and the world being so much smaller with all the technology. So that, along with drafting well, maybe they don't get the premier free agents, but they can get guys that can help their ball club, as you say, at the end of their careers or towards the end of their careers, like a Joe Johnson. So the point being, the sophistication of today's players can help the Jazz not only survive but thrive. Do you buy that? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. Yes. I mean, I certainly don't think – I don't think markets matter as much as they used to because you're right. I mean, you know, Oklahoma City had two – league MVPs, right? I mean, they because they it doesn't matter where you play now. Everybody sees every game, right? So there's no um, bias in that regard. There's, no, there's much less bias, I'll put it that way, than there maybe was 20 years ago. Um, so, yeah, there's no question that you can play, you can get commercials and endorsements. doesn't matter where you are. If your team's good and you're an exciting player, I mean, I think you have to be an exciting player. I don't. You know, I think Donovan Mitchell has a much better chance of getting national TV contracts than Rudy Gobert does or Royce O'Neal. You know, no disrespect to them. But what Donovan does is exciting, especially to young people. And that's what advertisers, that's who advertisers cater to. So, yeah, there's some truth to that. Um, it's all, but it's still a challenge now. I mean, I don't want to, I think, you, I don't want to sugarcoat the challenge. It's significant. You have to be as good as Utah has been in getting players for it to work because if you don't you really struggle i mean it's really hard um to continue to put a competitive winning basketball team out there um you know milwaukee got Giannis; they drafted Giannis, and that changed everything for that franchise and the chances of that happening again are probably one in a million you know just that you at at 13 in the draft you pick a guy who's, who becomes that good I mean, it just does not happen very often that you do that. Um, so there's some luck involved, but, but they were smart enough to see the potential there. And, um, but you have to be that good when you're in a mid-market and you're in a middle, you know, a, a middle type of market in the NBA. You, you really do have to be great at drafting. David, last thing before we let you go, if you're handicapping the rest of the NBA season, if the Lakers are healthy, are they the favorite? I think so, just because I, I just think Anthony Davis makes them so difficult. You know, LeBron is LeBron. He's still great. Um, Anthony Davis just makes it really hard to defend them. And, it make, and he makes it really hard to score on them. I mean, he's a better defensive player, I think, than he gets credit for. Um, so the combination is just very difficult to overcome. LeBron, we know LeBron can take four other guys of any type to the finals. He's done it before, right? Um, 
when you add another top five player to it, it just makes it really, really hard. And they're, you know, their role players play off of that. Those guys, I think, are, are big time players. You know, KCP and people like that, and Mark, Marcus Morris and or Markeith Morris and guys like that. I think that if they don't have too much pressure on them, they they can make shots, and that's all they need to do in the playoffs is make open threes. Um, and we saw defensively how good they could be last year. Now. There is a fair question, and they were good last year, but they also had Dwight Howard, who played very well for them in the bubble. We'll see if Gasol plays well in the bubble. And, you know, I'm not – he's a good player, but I don't think he brings the physicality that Dwight brought that I thought really impacted Jokic in that series. You know what I mean? Like, he really went after Jokic physically. Um, that's not Mark's thing. Mark is, a, you know, Mark is a very cerebral defensive player and smart in that regard. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I, I think there is a vulnerability there, but I do think it, all things equal with everybody healthy. I would certainly put the Lakers at the top of the list. But, I, you know, I think Utah, I think the Clippers, I think they're, they're all there. Denver certainly, if they get it together, and they're showing signs here and there. Um, you know, I think the margin is small, but I would say the Lakers are the favorite. Well, David, we enjoyed the story you wrote for The Athletic, and thanks for coming on the air here with us for a few minutes. We appreciate it. My pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. David Aldridge, longtime NBA reporter, now working with The Athletic. He is the editor-in-chief for The Athletic DC. DJ and PK, everything you missed in this show, coming up next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Middleton, downhill drive. Giannis to the rim, slam it! Bucks lead by three. Wow. What big steps you take, young man. Randall, three-pointer. It's good from the corner. Contested. Got free off a little step back. Booker gets it in the backcourt. Five seconds left into the forecourt. He goes. Beats pass Noel. Puts it up on the run and gets it with 1.4 seconds left as he falls to the floor again. The Suns will take their biggest lead into the fourth quarter with Devin Booker hitting for 41 already through three. LeBron to end the half. Got it! What a way to end! I think the biggest thing, Draymond said it a little bit at halftime. We have to remember that even when we're playing well, we won three in a row. You know, teams still want to beat us and beat us bad. <laughs> they still have, you know, a lot of memories from the last five, six years. That's Steph Curry talking about the Warriors getting blown out by the Lakers. L.A. up by 20 after a quarter. They win 117-91. to A lot of NBA basketball Sunday with the Jazz off. The three teams right behind him in the Western Conference playoff race. All playing. The Lakers winning easily. The Suns blowing out Minnesota. But the Clippers, 
the Clippers, PK, missing nine straight shots to end the game, getting outscored by the Bucks 9-0, and they got the ball to the right guys. They had Paul George and Kawhi Leonard had their looks, but a combined 0-9 down the stretch. And they get beat and drop into third place, a half game behind the Lakers, a half game in front of the Suns. Jazz three and a half up on the Lakers, four on the Clippers, four and a half on the Suns. And uh, those, those are the main teams for Jazz fans to uh, focus on, although you keep your eye on spot number eight. Well, I finished one. Obviously, that's who you're playing. And with this concocted playoff thing, we don't know. But, yeah, you just look at uh, the Nuggets. Ooh, that makes you nervous. You look at Doncic. I think Doncic is a top-five player in the league at 21 years of age. is incredible. And so he's dangerous unto himself. Uh, he's sort of like a, like a mini LeBron right now in terms of how much, how far can he carry a team? He can make a team competitive. I don't think he can win a title. There's not enough talent around him. They need to beef up that talent over the course of the next few years. But, yeah, I think that first round, I'd be surprised if the Jazz swept, really, no matter who they're playing. And then the second round, yeah, bring on the Clippers. I've written off the Clippers. After yesterday, I've discarded them as yesterday's news. (laughs) You have not. You did bring up an interesting point, though, because we've had people tweeting at us. The Jazz, as a one seed, you like to see the Lakers and Clippers as the 2-3 beat beat up on each other. But who's to say that the Lakers or Clippers don't rest key guys down the stretch, willingly drop to fourth, the same way the Jazz willingly dropped to sixth last year. Well, what the heck do I want to play? Let's just say it's the Clippers. What do we need to play the Lakers for? We like our chances with the Jazz in the second round. We'll get the Lakers in the conference final if we're both still standing. So who's to say? Phoenix is right there. It would not take much. Phoenix is just a half game behind the Clippers and a game behind the Lakers. So who's to say how this is going to play out? Right, and I think Phoenix needs to win as many games as possible, not to the point where you're overextending Chris Paul, but if he's healthy, win as many games as possible because you're trying to build something. I don't, I don't think that it matters nearly as much, uh, two, three, four, or five for that matter, for the Lakers and Clippers. Right, because I don't think they fear the Jazz. But on the flip side, I mean, we got to get this attitude that the Jazz are a really good ball club and they can compete with anybody. So they may not fear us, so to speak, but we don't fear them either. Why? Why? If you're the Jazz, you got to believe that if we play like we're capable of playing, we can beat anybody in this league four times. And that's what it boils down to. It's not can you beat them on a Thursday in March. It's can you beat them the four times in the postseason. Because I think the answer, can you beat them any game in March, is overwhelming yes. No matter who it is, you can beat them. Maybe Gonzaga. That's a little bit uh, not sure about Gonzaga. They're that good. But everybody else, you can beat, right? But can you beat them four times? If the Jazz play like they're capable of playing, then the answer is yes, they can. Even the mighty Lakers and LeBron, the once-in-a-generation stud that he is, the marvel, the athletic marvel that that man is, yes, it's going to be hard, but can you do it? Yes, I think they can. Now, will they do it? Then that's a debatable question that we will thrash around from now until the postseason. But can they? Yes. So it works both ways there. 
Well, we just had David Aldridge on, and he talked about the Jazz. Basically, he said the Lakers are the favorite, and the Jazz, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the Clippers, and there's a couple other teams you can throw in are legit contenders, which is a good place to be. But the Lakers, if healthy, they got to stay healthy. But if healthy, then the Lakers are the favorites. Well, I can argue that the best teams LeBron has had, he's had two of them, right? With the Miami and then the second Cleveland stop, right? And before he got to the Lakers. And so you look at his top three guys now, I think they compare favorably, or his top two, his, his next two numbers, two and three on the depth chart in terms of talent. I think. Davis and Schroeder compare to Wade and Bosch. Now you may say, well, wait a second, Bosch was way better. Yes, Bosch in Toronto was way better, but there's only so many stats to be had if you're the third fiddle, and that's what he was in Miami. So Schroeder may not be as good as Bosch, but I think Davis was better than Wade. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, I got it. Uh, and I do think the talent is roughly comparable. You know, if you go back to Love and, and Kyrie, I think comparable. Right. Probably, I don't know, I have to go back and look at the whole Cleveland roster. But right now I would say that the Cleveland championship roster was the least of his championship rosters. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. But I, off the top of my head, I would go with that. Um, you know, but I think this roster has more in common uh, and is closer to Miami than it is to Cleveland. And they won multiple titles there. So, of course, they're the favorite. Yeah. All right, other stuff. We just had David Aldridge on, your takeaways. He had the the story in The Athletic, um, you know, race rearing its head again in Utah, basically, with Elijah Millsap and his allegations of Dennis Lindsay and how's this playing around the league, and then what do players around the league think. Specifically, he spoke to players who either came to Utah, in the case of Mike Conley, and, and now have a list of things they like, or Derek Favors, who returned here, which goes against the grain. And he brought up the, you know, the Harper quote from 20-plus years ago, you know, why don't you go live in Utah? You know, how things have changed, and yet how perceptions remain the same at the same time. And we just had him on to talk about that and the NBA race with, uh, you know, on the court. But your takeaways from that, you were looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, it's unfortunate when even a a hint or a he said, he said, because there's no fact right now. Elijah Millsap can claim whatever he wants. I'm not discounting it, but to this point, it's nothing but a claim or an accusation, right? But yet, all you got to do is put that out there, and once you bring in the racial component – Let's call it like it is. It's hard for the white guy to overcome that. And what I mean by this case, I don't mean Dennis Lindsay. I mean the state of Utah. The white guy is what I'm, I'm talking much bigger than an individual. So here you go. As David said, oh, here we go again. Even if it's not true, oh, here we go again. And that just is bothersome. Because... We have, we're quick to paint a group as bad. But yet, if I see another group doing something, or portions, not just a very sliver of people doing something bad, I don't say, well, here we go again. That group, everybody in that group, 
of that particular race, color, ethnicity, religion, or whatever. They're all like that. Well, obviously they're not. (laughs) Nobody is all like that. You know, you put 100 people in who have the same background, then not every single person is going to think exactly the same, for better or worse. It just doesn't work that way. But yet, in our community, it gets labeled that. And I don't know that we're ever going to get past it. And it's bothersome, particularly for an organization like the Jazz, who's done everything by the book the way they're supposed to do it. And they're being rewarded now out on the field. I mean, they're our field court. They're really good right now because they have done things the right way. So it's just a shame that one thing and then we go back and immediately the Westbrook thing and then something else, something else. And I like to think, and maybe I'm off base, but I like to think it's just a small fraction of people who are doing stupid things. Well, I think there's a couple things. I think that uh, we, you know, many of us would like to think it's a small fraction, but maybe the fraction, even if it's small, is bigger than we want to admit, and it's having more of an impact than we would like to think. Well, certainly have an impact. I don't yeah. disagree with that. And so, and then the other thing is, I think that whether you're an individual, a group, a city, doesn't matter if you're a player or a coach, uh, you know, to a certain degree, you wear your reputation. You know, and in one incident, it may not be fair, and yet you've got to wear what's happened over, you know, in the case of an individual, 5, 10, 20 years. In the case of a place, over, you know, 25, 50, 100 years. And, you know, and it's not just a Utah thing. You know, it's whenever anything happens with the LAPD, then stuff gets brought up, you know, over, over the decades. But I think the thing that David Aldridge addressed in the article that doesn't get enough run Uh, and we talked about it with him on the air, is when the Jazz are looking to appeal to players to come to Utah, it's not just the negative, you know, how are people going to treat me, how are they going to look at me, what are they going to say to me, you know, and that kind of stuff. But it's also how much do you fit in the community? Is there a community that is like you? And other places have their issues. And L.A., New York, Minnesota, we can go down the list. Detroit, Chicago, you can throw out a long list of places, and there are negative things that happen. But in the case of the NBA, we're talking about African Americans. That minority group has got a minority group like itself there. And if you don't have that to the same degree in Utah, that's going to be a negative. Now, there there is an African American community here, but by percentage, it's much smaller than it is in these other cities. And having said that, these other cities, and this goes back to your point about organizations doing things the right way, if this were the only factor for players, if players weren't more sophisticated than this, which you also brought up with David, then Golden State would have been winning for the entire history of the NBA, not just for the last five or ten years. And Atlanta would have a much better history in the NBA. So race isn't the only factor. People are more sophisticated than that, because otherwise... In Oakland and Atlanta and New York, I mean, they, they'd be winning way more than they are. So there are other factors out there, and, and people do get that. But when an accusation comes front and center, even if you don't like how it plays out, PK, you like to think you're a realist and you know to a degree how it's going to play out. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't disagree with any of that. It's out there. But the Jazz, I still think the Jazz can overcome it. I think they've gotten so much good for them, and I think the player is sophisticated enough to 
research in his own situation. What is best for me? Yeah. Joe Johnson may have gotten it right when he said live in Deer Valley. But as David Aldridge said, you know, not everybody can live in Deer Valley. But NBA players. They can. Right. They can. can. can Yach, you moving to Deer Valley? In my dreams? Okay. One day. One day, Yach, your ship will come in. Uh, we had Steve Cleveland on also and talked with him about the other question of the day, which is, is the occasional loss good for the Jazz? And boy, Steve had to chew on that one for a while. He struggled with that. He'd rather win ugly. Losing is never good. But yes, it does lead to a reset. So there's the silver lining to it. That was the most you'd come up with there. All right, your feedback coming up. Stay with us. This country's road takes Ryan Smith to a place politically correct. Dennis Lindsay is a good man. If they cancel him, the jazz are wrecked. There's Kay with his daily song. Well, almost daily. He's probably good uh, like three and a half times a week. Uh, yeah, three or four times a week. On yeah. Almost four, yeah. yeah. Okay. John Denver. Yeah. A lot of assumptions built into that song. I don't know how many of those I could sign off on at this point. Probably not very many of them, but one of them is in there is like, any assumption about Ryan Smith, like how well do we know him? I mean, we know people who know him, right? We had Travis Hansen on the show and he vacationed mm-hmm. with him. But mm-hmm. you think like how long we've seen some coaches coach and how long we saw the Millers own the franchise. Like even if you don't know them personally, you don't spend, you know, you're not vacationing with them, going to lunch and dinner with them. You see them do their job for a long time and you kind of get like, the rhythm of how they do it and what they think. And so you can kind of anticipate what they're going to do in any given situation. I, I don't know Ryan well enough to start telling people, oh, he'll probably do this or he'll probably do that. You know, with the Millers, we kind of you could probably give us 10 or 20 topics and we could probably say, well, they're probably going to do this or they're probably going to do that. But don't you feel like at least to the, to the public, Ryan's a blank slate at this point? Oh, yeah, he's barely into it, and he's going to own this team for many, many years mm-hmm. to come, and he's just days into it, so to speak. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know how, how he's going to be. He, he, he probably will evolve. Most human beings do evolve yeah. over time. Larry Miller certainly did. There might not be a better oh, yeah. case of someone evolving than Larry Miller. Yeah, and he said that, and he was so disappointed in himself when he said that. Have you mellowed over the years, Larry? Yeah. It's classic. Hilarious. Dry humor. you got to love it. Yeah, I mean, Larry was a true sort of exposed human being for all the good and all the flaws. He put it out there, a lot yeah. to admire and, well, and learn from. I, I think, As his family has spoken, how they learned from him and how he wanted them to learn from him. Yeah, and, and I think that you see this, um, you know, with owners all across sports. And, you know, we know the local stories better. We know the national ones, but we know the national ones, too. And it's, you know, it, at some point to be an owner, well, you can inherit it. But if you didn't inherit it, um, at some point to be an owner, you had to run a business or businesses. And then running one that's this public as sports is, it's a different beast. You know, it's oh, probably There's nothing a, that compares to it. Right. It's a different it's um, it's very different from first off, it's a different business, and then running it publicly is also different. So there's two adjustments for most owners to make, and you got to give them time to to settle in and do that. So well, Ryan Smith went from a billionaire to a public figure, right? Overnight. Now he was gradually working towards that way, but once it became the announcement, 
than anything he does and everything he does is now of uh, news in a sense. That's how public he's become. And how would you deal with that? You know, we've had to deal with that in our own little way of being on TV and then people see you. How do you handle that? Oh, my wife would tell you very poorly. (laughs) She wouldn't sugarcoat. Yeah, you were really bad at that. Yeah, but you're a nice person. See, I'm not. (laughs) You'd like people to think that. (laughs) But down there in the heart of the Grinch somewhere, if you keep digging. Oh, sure. If you want to hike the Grand Canyon, you might find it. Bitsy, tiny heart. (laughs) All right. Hands of Scotty are coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow.